Gospel this morning is from John chapter 6. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood, Jesus says, remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread, which he says he is, will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are spirit, they are life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them would not believe and who it was that would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can actually come to me unless the Father has enabled, has helped them. From this time, many of his disciples turned back. They no longer followed Jesus. You do not want to leave me too, do you? Jesus asked his 12. And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Go ahead and be seated. These gospel texts that we read, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they were, they were texts that were written for the Christian communities who were gathering to remember the Jesus story. And they would celebrate a sacred meal together, the meal we call communion. You can find an ancient document called the Didache. It was lost for years and years and years, uh, over a thousand years. And a copy of it was talked about through the church fathers as, you wrote, as they wrote in history. But a copy of it showed up in the 1700s. And we have the actual extant copies, uh, a copy of the Didache. You can go online and Google it. And what's interesting about this particular text is that it explains not so much theology as sort of a practicum, a practical book about what the early church did. Some recent scholars believe it was written as early as 50 AD. So we're talking about right at the beginning, just a few years after Jesus had raised from the dead. And then the Didache, it talks about how they would gather and they would sing, how they would rehearse and talk about the stories of Jesus, the sayings of Jesus, some of the teachings of the apostles, and how they always had the sacred meal together. It used to be a whole meal. And then over generations, it started turning into a focused time of the bread and the cup, what now we refer to as communion. They were not confused when they listened to John's gospel about what was being referred to here. Even though this particular teaching about Jesus saying, I am the body and the blood, you're to eat my body and drink my blood, was not in the context of the meal. They knew, because this was not written for pagans, this was written for these churches, they knew that Jesus was giving them the teaching about what was actually happening in the Eucharistic meal. The early church's worship was centered totally around the person of Jesus and the events, the Christ events that happened, his death, 
his burial, his resurrection. They were actually OCD about it. I mean, they constantly talked about it. We read Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel. I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. This is where we stand. This is the heart of how we define ourselves is what he's saying. By the gospel, he says, you are saved. If you hold firmly to this idea, the word that I preach unto you, otherwise you believed in vain. For what I passed unto you is of first importance. What is that? Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Christ was buried. Christ was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. This is what they focus on. This was true north for them. For those of you that are old enough, lived in the ancient world of the 1970s, um, you remember before they had the GPS, we had uh, little uh, compasses. And if you go out uh, hiking or you went out to, uh, you know, out in the wherevers, nowhere, uh, you would pull out the compass and it would show you north so that you could orient yourself to where you were supposed to go. When, When the early church gathered, this moment of the communion where they would think about the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus, which was of first importance, was how they came to orient themselves and to think about who am I in response to his death? What does this mean that he was buried for me? What does it mean that he rose again from the dead? It means that he's coming back again, that he's alive right now. And they would sort of orient themselves to that whole notion and it was done within the context of this Eucharistic meal. That's why it was so central for them because this meal celebrates the death the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. St. Paul had said earlier in this letter of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 11, he said, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body. He said, which is broken for you, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. This idea of remember in the ancient world wasn't like a recollection, like thinking about somebody that had died or something. This was the notion of remember actually meant to make it present. To in your mind, to actually Pretend like you were there in that moment and it was real at the time. He said, do this in memory. Do this, do this. Not just intellectually, not just emotionally, but actually do something physical. Do this in memory of me. For whenever you eat this bread, whenever you drink this cup, you're doing something. You're proclaiming something. You're proclaiming something of first importance. You're proclaiming something that you must take your stand on. And that is you're proclaiming the Lord's death. Until he comes. See, this sacred meal proclaimed the Lord's death and made it present. Not only that, but it proclaims his resurrection because it says until he comes. Not only does it proclaim he died, it proclaims he's still alive. And it proclaims that he's coming back again. All of that is in this meal. And all of that was true north for the believers for 1,500 years. That's what the church did. It wasn't until the Reformation about 500 years ago that reform thinkers started aborting the emphasis that's on the meal. And there's reasons for that. I mean, a whole bunch of reasons for that, some of them political. And, and they made the gathering of the believers about singing and about scriptural preaching. And even though that used to be always part of it, but it made it that central. It sort of relegated the meal to an aside. 
Since then, the church service is more the event. (laughs) It's not so much that we celebrate the Christ event. It's an event within itself where we listen to preaching, where we sing together, and then we cheer with our friends. We just kind of have this event. And we forget that the reason we gathered was to remember the Christ event, his death, his burial, his resurrection. And what does that mean for us as a mom or a dad or a Starbucks manager or a doctor or a nurse? What does that mean for us as construction workers? Who are we because of that event? See, that's the real question for the believer. I think that taking the focus off of the meal was a mistake. I cannot tell you how delighted I am that sanctuary celebrates the Eucharist week in and week out. I hope you get why. He said, Jesus said, this is my body. This is my blood. Uh, Pastor Preston last week was preaching and he talked about how people have argued over what that means. What, what, what is, what, you know, fought to the death. What does it mean that Jesus, this is his body, this is his blood. For some, you know, they believe it's actually Christ's body and Christ's blood, Christ's real presence. For others, they say, no, it's just a symbol of the Lord's blood and, and body. And that we're just to reflect on it emotionally or intellectually. And even though I think there's, there's truth in both of those kinds of perspectives and all the continuums between there, I love it that Jesus doesn't try to explain it. I mean, I love it that he just says what he says and he isn't concerned about the confusion he creates. I mean, some religious confusion is good. It's called mystery. We moderns hate it because we think if we can just, just dig a little deeper, find out a few more Bible verses, we can all figure it out. Listen, take heed for the people that have their faith all figured out. All nice and tidy. They're probably going to hell. <laughs> what a mystery. When I go to the table, you know what I do? I think of Matthew 28. That's the great commission going all the world. At the very end of that passage, Jesus says, surely I am with you. Surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. I think that one of the ways he's with us certainly is in our hearts, in our minds, but I think he's with us in this moment of communion. Somehow I think he's in the bread. Somehow I think he's in the wine. I'm not sure he's in the grape juice. I'm more of a whiner than a graper. <laughs> but I believe he's smack in the meal and that we are partake, partaking of him. His body, his blood under the appearance of bread and wine. And somehow, I, when, I, when I come, I release my faith at that moment. I, I say, this is you. And I re- I'm receiving you into my life physically. Somehow you've inhabited this physically and I'm tasting of you, of eternal life. I I don't have to wait for your physical return to experience you physically. To me, you know, my wife, when she makes stuff that has sauces in it, like, you know, chili or, you know, spaghetti or that kind of stuff, she always asks me to come before the meal, honey, come here and taste this, which I happily do. Because when I taste that yummy stuff, it's like a foretaste of what's to come. See, I think this is a foretaste of his return. 
We proclaim his return. That's how Paul said it. We proclaim his return every time. He's come. He's with us. He's here. Now, that may not be exactly right, but, but, but we do know that Jesus is claiming that there's something miraculous about this meal. Because he told them, he said, when you partake of me, you're partaking of life. And he said, just like the, the, when your forefathers, when they wandered in the desert, leaving Egypt, going to the promised land, there were these manna meals that God dropped off every day. Little manna meals, they go and eat it. It was supernatural. He said, that stuff was supernatural, but it didn't give you life forever. I am the manna meal that will give you life forever. But what he's saying is, it's, there's something supernatural here. Somehow, it's a miracle meal. This is a miracle meal that when we partake of it, we're actually partaking of eternal life. You are chewing and drinking eternal life. That's the claim. Jesus said in just a little earlier of this passage, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. <laughs> You're eating and drinking eternal life. And I will raise them up on the last. What, what do you do with that? I mean, eating and drinking eternal life. I don't know exactly what to do with it, but I'm telling you what, it sure makes sense out of verses like 1 Corinthians 11, which seem a little opaque if you don't get this. Where Paul writes, he just got done talking about communion, about the night that he took the bread and broke it and took the cup and asked them to drink it. And he says, therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in a manner that's not worthy, he says, you're, you're sinning. You're guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. A person ought to examine himself, Paul says, before he eats of the bread or drinks of the cup. Anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing that this is the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why, Paul says, many of you are weak physically, sick physically. A number of you have died physically. This is all physically. But if we judge ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we're being disciplined so that we won't be condemned with the world. Holy cow. This shares more mystery. How many of you agree that it at least sounds serious? Maybe even a little scary. Whatever is going on here, it seems to me just a little more supernatural than the average evangelical thinks. And it's so funny to me. I, I think it's refreshing that Jesus just speaks so plainly here. Preston was talking last week and he said, when Jesus said, eat my body, he didn't use the word for normal eating, the nice eating. He actually used the word that used for animals gnawing on flesh. And it's this offensive word of, he's saying, unless you gnaw on my flesh and drink my blood, <laughs> To the first century Jews, I guarantee you this was offensive indeed. And yet Jesus just throws it out there. And when he does, everybody starts to panic and they go, this is a freaking out word here. Who can accept this? And the majority of them leave. Jesus didn't go, oh, excuse me, I didn't mean it literally, it's metaphorical. <laughs> he just let them leave. And then he looked at his disciples, his 12, and he said, what are you guys going to do? You out? 
And Peter said, well, I think all of us, what he wants all of us to say, where are we going to go? <laughs> <laughs> this is our story. This is true north. This is what defines us. Somehow, we've got to remember that this is more about Jesus than it is about us. When you come to the table, come with faith.